Amen. I mean, what a week, guys, man. We had uh, dinosaurs and, and, and lumberjacks and 80s uh, dance parties. And uh, it, was, it was a week around here, let me tell you. And uh, man, we're so grateful for all of you that helped out with our fall festival. Catherine's going to tell us kind of how that went if you weren't here. And so she's going to fill us in here in just a little bit. But guys, I, I just want to welcome you. I'm glad you're with us. And we'll continue our study in the book of Daniel. Uh, and and kind of the, the title of the series is, is Faith in the Face of Fear. And the last few weeks, kind of since we finished up chapter six, we finished up the historical section, we've kind of gotten into all this apocalyptic literature. And, and I just want to tell you, that scares a lot of people, right? It scares a lot of people when you think about end times. And so our goal is to really just kind of help you wade through it, to talk about what it means uh, in, in a historical setting. And, and, and then this week, we're going to talk about some prophecy. And so just kind of want you to, to know that. And so this week, we're going to be in Daniel chapter nine. Uh, chapter nine, the verses that we're going to read are the most most debated, hotly talked about um, sections in all of Daniel. Amen? Woohoo! That's always fun when you're studying. That's always fun. And uh, lots to read about. And so uh, the goal this week is that Jesus might be lifted high. He might be glorified in our midst and uh, that we might find some clarity. I want to remind you of some things before we dive into Daniel chapter 9. Um, since the change in chapter 6, there's been a change in the genre of literature. So 1 through 6, the genre was, genre was history. Uh, we are now now in, in apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature, you do not read, nor do you interpret the same way that you interpret history, okay? So apocalyptic literature is a lot more like a dream, all right? Uh, anybody had some weird dreams? Anybody ever had those, right? Anybody ever have a dream where it just you keep skipping around to different places and you wake up going, I, I don't remember what happened? So uh, that's kind of how apocalyptic literature uh, should, should, should be thought of. A lot of times you're here, and then you're here, and now you're here. Um, and, and so, and it's big on symbols, big on symbols and, and, and kind of word pictures. And the problem is those pictures aren't meant to be taken literally. Some people try to read apocalyptic literature, and they read about a beast with all these horns, and they go, oh my gosh. Uh, and they start drawing pictures of what that might look like, thinking that person is coming. And yet the scripture clearly tells us, like, no, no, those beasts represent something. And so what we have to do is we have to not take the symbols literally, but we have to try to interpret them that we might take the interpretations literally. And so uh, there's a lot to do when it comes to this type of literature. This morning, we're going to do our best. Uh, Alistair Begg preached this chapter, and uh, when he was preaching it, he said something along the lines of, I reserve the right to, at any moment, at any given time, including during this message, change my opinion on this text, okay? So, uh, we're going to do our best to present it to you. I hope that you're ready for Daniel chapter 9. Join me in a word of prayer, if you don't mind, okay? Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us into your house to worship your name. And um, God, our hope and prayer this morning is that Jesus is indeed magnified in our midst. And Holy Spirit, we want to, um, we want to welcome you, and we're so glad that you, you are with us. That's the promise of, of God's word, is that when two or more gather in the name that you're present, we recognize your presence now, and one of the ways we do that in a special way here is to invite you now to come and take your place in our pulpit as our teacher, the teacher of this church. That is the Holy Spirit. That is not me. Um, that, that's not our Sunday school teachers. You are the teacher of this church. We pray that you would open our hearts 
um, from the inside out to the word of God. And, and, and that as the disciples um, walked on the road to Emmaus, that, 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 uh, that, that our hearts would burn with passion as we come to a, a deeper, greater understanding of who Jesus is throughout this great text. And, uh, and, and please do that in our midst. Jesus, be lifted high. Draw us closer to yourself. It's in your name that we pray and ask these things. And God's people said, Amen, amen, amen. Uh, guys, I'm in Daniel chapter 9 as we're, we're, we're walking through um, the entire book of Daniel. Um, we're going to read the entire text as we've been doing every morning. Um, we could say amen then and, and head off. Uh, we would have done our job, uh, but, but uh, we, we do want to exalt the word of God in our midst. We know that it is living, active, that it is effectual. And so Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, uh, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom. In, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Okay? Would be 70. We'll get into all this in a second. I just want you... Daniel is reading God's word. Okay? He's reading something that Jeremiah has written, and he gets an understanding of, of a time. Uh, in his mind. So he's got this. So he says, so I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And, and this is Daniel's, man, this guy prays, right? I mean, every time we see him in the book, he is praying. So he, he, he's now going to pray. He says, I prayed to the Lord, my God, and I confess. So this is a prayer of confession. Like that's your, that's your context clue. You say, what's going on? It says it right there um, before, uh, right there in chapter four, I prayed and, and, and I confess. So this is a, a prayer of confession. He says, all Lord, the great and uh, awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keeps his commands, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled and turned away from your commands and your ordinances. We, we have not listened to your servants, to the prophets who spoke in your name, to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But, but this day, public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those who are, are near and those who are far in all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty that they have shown towards you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, our fathers, because we, now he is personalizing this, because we, he says, we have sinned against you. Verse 9, compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, okay, now this context clues. Context clues. Daniel is tying together. He's read from Jeremiah, and now he's linking it to the book of the law. Okay? You, you've got to understand what's going on. So context clues. He says, all of Israel has broken your law. We've turned away, refusing to obey. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it's written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities, paying attention to your truth, 
So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and he brought it on us for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Here comes this request. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may you uh, or may your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Say, God, enough is enough. Would, would you now stop? Turn away from Jerusalem, uh, your wrath, your holy mountain. Um, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, so now he's confessing father's sin, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those that surround us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on the desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. When I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my petitions before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel, remember this is uh, the, the archangel, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the first vision, which is really the second, reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of evening uh, offering, and he gave me this explanation, Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it, for you are treasured by God. So consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people in your holy city. To bring the rebellion to an end, to put a stop to the sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to, re to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay, so seven weeks and 62 weeks. If you do some math, that's 69 weeks, right? Okay, just follow me. 69 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times, after the, those 62 weeks, so really 69 weeks, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the coming ruler will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come with a flood, and until the end, there will be war. Desolations are decreed. He'll make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering, and the abomination of desolation will be on a wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolation. May God bless the reading of his word. <clears throat> All right. Three things I want to share with you. You're like, I don't know what I just got into this morning. <sighs> Had an extra hour of sleep and now I walk into the abomination of desolation. Hallelujah. Um, Three things I want to share with you this morning. Here's the first. I don't want you to miss it. Um, that this, this, this text is about a prayer. And specifically, it's about God answering a prayer. And so we're just going to start here with this truth. Guys, God answers prayer. 
right? I mean, that, that sounds so simple, but it'd be so easy to miss in this text. God answers prayer. And, and so we just kind of need to say it outright. Daniel is reading, he's meditating on the book of Jeremiah, and, and then he realizes that the 70 years of captivity in Babylon are nearing an end, and, and so uh, it causes him in his spirit, he's like, oh gosh, I need to pray. And so what I thought I'd do with you is let's read the text that Daniel was reading. Wouldn't that be cool? We actually have it, which is awesome. So open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, you have uh, lifted up Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, You've talked about it often. Yes, that's God's plan for my life. Uh, You have a plan to prosper me, heal me. Um, Let's read it in context this time. And so Jeremiah chapter 29, if you have your Bibles, uh, that's where I'm going to be. And and so I want you to hear kind of what what Daniel is reading. So I'm in in Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to start in verse 10. and, And let's just see if we can hear the text the way that Daniel heard the text as he's been in captivity and he's been there for nearly 70 years. And and the word of the Lord says, uh, for this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banish you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Those are the words that Daniel read. Isn't that cool? We have the words that Daniel read. Isn't that not awesome? I just think that's awesome. So Daniel read these words, and he really, he's like, oh, oh, wait, 70? Oh, I've, I've been here a hot minute. Uh, I think this is about up. And, and he realized, like, like, this thing is almost over. And, 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 and it causes Daniel uh, to, to begin to pray. Look, it says that in verse 3, right? It says, so, so, so I turned my attention to the Lord, and I sought him by prayer. That was his response to reading and meditating on Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10 through 14. Daniel immediately was like, man, I need to pray. And then the content of his prayer we find in verse 4 through verse 19 of chapter 9. And here's what I love the most about the entire account. Verse 23. It says this, at the beginning, this is Gabriel speaking, at the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. As soon as you started praying, God sent the answer. That's awesome, isn't it? (laughs) That's awesome. Now, I don't know if that's your experience in prayer. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, uh, (laughs) I I think there might be a time or two that's how the Lord has worked with me, right? Just a time. That is not my typical experience in prayer. Amen? Anybody else? That's not my typical experience. And, 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 and that's what I'm going to tell you. This is atypical, but the truth behind it is, is sure. God answered Daniel's prayer because God answers prayer. He always does. And, and so God answers prayer in three ways. And so when you read this, you go, man, look, God loved Daniel so much, he, he answered it before he even finished praying the prayer. And you're like, yeah, but he didn't answer it the way you think he would answer it. 
right? Because his answer to Daniel is actually kind of no, right? So God answers prayer three ways. The first way uh, is yes, right? And, and that's what I like to say. Um, the Bible tells us that a lot of times we pray with wrong motives, with selfish motives, and, and so James kind of lays that out for us. And, and sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Other times we don't have because when we ask, we ask with wrong motives. Um, but hear me, God is so gracious that sometimes even when we ask with wrong motives as a selfish child at midnight going, God, I, Dad, I'd like some ice cream. Sometimes God says, hey, come on and sit on the stool with me and let's get out the gal and we'll just eat it together, right? Every once in a while, we get one of those cool moments. We're like, ah, that's awesome, right? So sometimes God says yes, right? Yes, I'm, I'm going to heal you. Yes, I'm going to fix this financial crisis. Yes, I'm going to... Like sometimes God's answer is yes and it's immediate. Um, oftentimes, uh, God's, God's answer is, is no, no. No, I'm not, not going to do that. Paul's like, hey, 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 I've got a, I've got a health issue. Paul's like, I've got, I got a health issue. i got this thorn. It's in my flesh. It is killing me, man. It is killing me, Lord. Please take it out. There's one time. Another time, he's like, man, this thing is killing me. It's killing my ministry, God. Think of all the things that I could do if you just removed this thorn. Please, Lord, take it from me. And God's like, nope. And so another time, he's like, Lord, you don't understand. I can't travel the way I want to travel. I can't preach the way I want to preach. I can't think the way I want to think. Please, Lord, take this thorn from me. And God is like, no. Because I'm better than that thorn. You don't need health. You need me. Right? He says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. He said, Dan, like, listen, Paul, I, I know you think that if you didn't have this physical ailment, you could do great things for me. I'm going to tell you, you can do greater things for me if I leave this with you and you have to rely on me because then it'll be done in my power and it'll be perfect, right? And so we, 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 we can, so, so God always answers. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just later. It's just later. And that's really kind of what goes on in this text. So I want you to see. So Daniel reads uh, from the book of Jeremiah that the Babylonian captivity is coming to an end. And I'll show you what he does in a second. But he begins to think that the kingdom of God is coming. Right? That's what he, restoration in the Jewish mind is like, hey, 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 the Messiah is coming. So he's actually thinking those kind of thoughts. And, and, and basically what God does is shows up to Daniel, who's, who's confessing his sin now and the sin of his people. And he's like, oh God, oh merciful God, I, we have sinned and my father sinned and I was born a sinner. And it, it's all, our, please forgive me. And, and God's like, hey, Daniel, I hear you. I know what you're trying to do. I know you think doing this, you're going to usher in the kingdom. But here's the deal. That's not going to happen right now. I love you. And Gabriel even says that. You're treasured by God, Daniel. But not right now. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. It's kind of a big deal, right? Friends, just like God was listening to Daniel, and he was. He sent a response right away. He's listened to Daniel all the way throughout the book. Every time Daniel prays, God is there listening. God is there acting. I want you to know that God listens to you too. Those, those words that Gabriel speaks over Daniel, God speaks over each of you. You are treasured by God. You are treasured by God. God wants to hear from you. He wants you to, to come to him. He said, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Like, I'm going to come to me. Talk to me. Share your burdens with me. I will actually take the burden that you're walking through. I will lift it off of your shoulders and put it on mine. And you'll just take my burden. And my burden is light. I'll take all the heavy stuff. That's the offer of God. Come to me. Pray to me. And so guys, I just, listen, if there was one thing that we wanted to learn from the character of Daniel, 
I know faithfulness is a big one, right? But what about prayerfulness, right? A guy that every time we see him, he is lifting up his petitions to God. If there's one thing I could really use to be better in in my life, I don't know about you, but it's that, right? Being a man that is, is constantly praying. And, and I think that's our challenge from, from Daniel. So that's the first thing. Guys, I just want you to know, out the gate, right? Out the gate that God answers prayer. And by, by the way, did you see why we can boldly, you know, Hebrews says that we can now boldly approach the throne of grace, right? We can do that because we're God's kids because Jesus is on the throne. It's a throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment right now. We, we, if, if we're his kids, it's, it's not judgment. It's now grace. Um, but, but Daniel just says it so well. I think it's verse, verse 18, is it verse 18? Yeah. And he says, for we're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Some of you haven't been praying because you kind of feel like you're a mess. You're kind of like, God, I've messed up too much. I don't even want to talk to you about it. Listen, it's not about your mess ups. It's about his grace. It's about his love. It's about his compassion. Talk to your father this week. Okay. All right. Second thing I want you to see. Uh, I think the text of Daniel 9 teaches us this, is that we often misunderstand the plans of God. <laughs> we often misunderstand the plans of God. What does it say in the book of Isaiah? Your ways are not my ways. God's saying, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than my, your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways. Listen, we don't understand the plans of God very often. We do not. We don't. And, and really the heart of this passage is, is, is this, right? Daniel's reading Jeremiah. Um, he's, he's in verse, you know, he's in chapter 29, verse 10 through 14. Of course, he didn't have those verse markers, but he's reading through that scroll of Jeremiah. He sees this thing about 70 years of captivity, uh, and he reads about God's promise to restore the people of Jerusalem back to the city of Jerusalem, the plans to prosper them, to give them a hope, to give them a future. And he immediately begins what? Confessing sin. That's what it says, and he immediately begins a prayer of confession. So the question we have to ask is, why does he immediately begin a prayer of confession? Right? And the text tells you. So, so we read the context of the text, it's really important. And so the, the context, he begins to pray a prayer of confession according to the law of Moses, it says. And so what Daniel does when he realizes that the Babylonian captivity is about to come to an end, he links Jeremiah 29.11 with the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 26... And he begins to, to think that those two promises are the same promise. Leviticus 26 talks about that God will ultimately restore his, his people, but it's talking about to the kingdom. To the kingdom. Okay? And so, so currently, um, they're living under Gentile rule. And the kingdom comes when Gentile rule is completely thrown off and God establishes uh, his rule, right? And, and, and so, so Daniel's saying, man, that's what's coming. That's what's coming. Only there's some things that the text says have to happen in Leviticus uh, for, for, for that to happen. And so just to kind of show you these connections, and, and so here's what the Leviticus 26 uh, outlines. Uh, Leviticus 26, 17 says this, this is God speaking to his people. So by the way, Leviticus chapter 26 says, hey, I'm your God. Uh, I'll be your God. You'll be my people if, if. Old covenant is all if, people. All if. New covenant all grace, right? Not, not about what you do. It's all about what I've done. Old covenant, it's about what you do. 
I will if you do. And, and so, so here's the if. So Leviticus 29, 16, I'm going to be your God. You'll be my people. I'll prosper you, bless you, if you keep my covenant. But if you do not, ready, I will turn against you so that you'll be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee even though no one is pursuing you. Uh, that's Leviticus 26, 17. Verse 33 says it this way. But I will scatter you among the nations, and I will draw a sword to chase after you, so your land will become desolate. Uh, that means there's nobody going to be in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You're not going to be there, right? It's going to be desolate. Not going to be the place that you know. Uh, and your cities will become ruins. That's what's going to happen. Now, God's, God's telling this what's going to happen. And, and, and then it says this in, in verse uh, 40 through 42. It takes up two slides. But, but, but listen, this is God's promise. But when they confess their iniquity and, get this, and what? And the iniquity of their fathers. Okay, what is Daniel doing? I have sinned. My father has sinned. All the people of Israel have sinned. So he says, but, but when they confess their sins of iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers, their unfaithfulness that they practice against me and how they acted with hostility towards me and I acted with hostility toward them and I brought them into the land of their enemies and when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I'll also remember my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. So I'm going to restore the promise, God says, when they confess their sins, act humbly, do these things, right? Okay, so here is the deal. Daniel reads the words of Jeremiah rightly. He understands that Babylonian captivity is about to end, but he wrongly assumes that the end of the Babylonian captivity means the end of the Gentile rule. Follow me? And so he comes before God, and he says, Hey God, 70's up. Bring your kingdom now. And God says, Daniel, I love you. And you're a voice for my people, but you have misunderstood Ooh, that's rough, isn't it? Any of you ever misunderstood the word of God? Amen? So God tenderly deals with Daniel, and he's like, man, you, you've got this wrong. It's, it's not 70. It's 70. Now, your text says weeks. It's a bad translation. See, the word that we translate weeks, that's not what the word means. In Hebrew, it means sevens. So God, through Gabriel, says to Daniel, Daniel, I, I love you. You've misunderstood my word. It's not 70. 70, that, that, was, that was just the captivity for, for what you guys, you guys didn't listen to the covenant. Man, you, you, didn't, you didn't take a break when I told you to take a break. Like, like no, 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 that, that, that's not that. That's, that's, that was 70. No, there's 70 sevens that have to happen before what you're asking for can happen. Because you're wanting the kingdom to come, Daniel. Before the kingdom comes, and we've done the 70, but before the kingdom comes, there's another 70 sevens that have to happen. Now, our text says weak, but the word in Hebrew means, again, it means seven. And, and Jews would have always used that to refer to days or years, never weeks. Okay, that, that's not how, so it's either seven days, so 490 days are going to have to happen, um, or it, it's going to be 490 Years, right? So, so those those things are, are where we are. And so, so guys, here, here's kind of what I'm what I'm saying to you is is Daniel had a misunderstanding of the word of God. Now, what we're about to do is talk about what these seventy sevens might be, okay? Because we got to lay that out. Because you can't walk through the passage and not lay that out. Understand the second point. We often what 
misunderstand the plans of God. So what we're going to lay out is kind of what the majority of people have interpreted this passage to be throughout our history, the best understanding we have of it, and we're going to come to it saying, this, this ain't the final, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like listen, you've you got to take this with a grain of salt. We don't understand the plans of God well, okay? And so I, I want to walk you through what the 77s could be. Now, now the, the first theory, guys, is that the 77s refers to days, and it's a literal 490 days. And the problem with that is the dates don't really match up. So they try to say from here to Antiochus Epiphanes, which we talked about him uh, last week. So from, from there to there, that's 490 uh, days. That, it, it doesn't, none of that really jive. The dates just really don't work well. And, and so, uh, so, so that, that doesn't really work. The, the second uh, theory, oh, by the way, before we get to that, let, let, me, let, me, let me do this. Um, the thing that there is no argument about is that the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, says to Daniel, before uh, what you want happens, right? Before, before what Daniel wants to happen can, can happen, uh, he says there are six things that have to happen. Okay, so look at verse 24 in your Bibles. Let's go over the six things, then we'll talk about what the, the 77s can mean. So the six things. Here's the six things that have to happen, because Daniel wants the kingdom. Okay, he wants the kingdom. So for the kingdom to come, God says, Daniel, these six things have to happen for the kingdom to come. These are, these are going to be what, what has to happen. So number, number one, uh, verse 24, right, um, to, to bring a rebellion to an end. So rebellion against God has to stop, number one. Number two, sin has to stop. Number three, sin has to be atoned for once and for all. Number four, everlasting righteousness has to be uh, ushered in. Number five, all, all vision and prophecy must be sealed up. And number six, um, they must be an anointing on the most holy place. And so Gabriel says, these things have to, to happen. Okay, again, Daniel had this wrong view. God's like, I'm going to write your view. Here's all the six things that have to happen. Now, what, what, a, what does the 77s mean? Again, uh, version one, um, it's, it's literal 490 days. Times don't line up. Uh, version two is that the 77s are symbolic periods. And uh, again, dates are just a mess with that. Uh, you can try to, the, the dates just don't work. Third version is a little better. And, and the third version is that it's symbolic periods that end up with Christ coming. Um, a little better, still lots of date problems. R- remember, because we, we've said this, uh, a, a text has to mean something to the people that get it initially, right? So this has to be meaningful to the actual Jews, not just to us today. And we have a tendency to read Daniel and Revelation, and we just think about us. We have no knowledge of what it meant to the people that originally heard it. So there's, it's got to mean something there as well. And, and so, so the best uh, kind of theory that's floated out there, and there's two versions of it. I'm going to give you the one that I like the best, okay? So that, that's not gospel truth. I'm going to give you the one I like the best, the reason I... So it says, after a proclamation goes out from a king to rebuild, uh, this is when the 77s start. Now, some people say that proclamation begins with Darius, who does, he makes the first proclamation to rebuild. Um, date-wise, though, they don't actually start the rebuild yet. So it doesn't start, the rebuild doesn't start until the proclamation made by Artaxerxes, and that's in Ezra and Nehemiah that's talked about. So here's the deal. So I'm going to start the clock with that proclamation. I'm going to start the clock with that proclamation because I want to show you how the dates lined up because the dates are supposed to mean something to the people. Okay, everybody follow me? Clear as mud? Okay, so here we go. Uh, clear, clear as mud. So here, here we go. So let's, let's start the clock with the decree of Artaxerxes, uh, and we, we have that decree listed in both Ezra and Nehemiah. That puts us somewhere uh, between 458 and 455, uh, 445 for the decree to go out. So the decree to rebuild goes out. It takes 49 years to rebuild the temple. Anybody good at math? What's 49 divided by 7? Seven. All right. 
All right, so, so we've, got, we've, got, we've got the first seven, and then it says, it says there's going to be seven, and then there's going to be what? 62 sevens. Seven, seven sevens to rebuild the temple, 49 years, and then there's going to, there's going to be another 62 sevens be, before uh, the anointed one. And so if you start with Artaxerxes, and, and, and that's, that's your, your, your first seven sevens, and that's 49 years. And then you, you go from that, 62 times seven, uh, Jeff got out the calculator, it's 434. Uh, 434 years from that time, 430 years from that time, puts us at Jesus. At Jesus. And, and you can date it to either his public ministry, you can date it to his death, doesn't matter. Puts you right at Jesus in his public ministry up into his crucifixion. Like, it's right there. Those dates line up. Now, some people prefer, I want to start with Darius, and then I'm going to talk about how Ptolemy didn't have all his dates right. Because like, like, if you want to go that way, I, that's fine with me too. I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm just telling you, a way that dates like legit line up in history is right here. And, 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 and so what, what happens now, now, now what, about, well, what about that week after Christ? Well, here's the deal. So here's the deal with this, this last view, okay? It's both literal. It is, it is, it is a literal uh, of, this, of, of 77, but it has a prophetic gap. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, neither did the first coming of Jesus to the Jews, Right? Remember, they expected the kingdom. Jesus shows up, says the kingdom is in your midst. Oh, but by the way, it's not completely fulfilled yet. And so there's, there's this gap. And so, so, so the theory is that, that uh, from Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, uh, we, we're on pause. <laughs> okay? And, 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 and so that last week deals with, with a couple things. One, um, the destruction of the temple in AD 70, like that legit is talked about, okay? But that is a precursor to how bad it's going to get. And so what's going to happen in the last week, which is to come, this is prophecy, that in the last week to come, one will rise up uh, who is highly esteemed by people in the world, and he's going to reestablish the sacrificial system and the temple. Okay? For three and a half years. And then he's going to stop the sacrificial system. And he's going to put himself on the throne. And he's going to call himself God. And he's going to demand that people worship him. Okay? And then, eventually the end will come. Okay? Now, listen. That's crazy. But that's what the Bible says is, is coming. And so, um, I, I know a lot of Christians, they're like, oh, they're going to rebuild the temple. That should scare you to death. I'm just saying. Like, like, like yeah, it, it has to happen. I'm just saying, you shouldn't be so excited. Oh, I'm going to go see it. No! <laughs> Don't want to do that. And there's a whole lot of reasons why. We'll get to those uh, in a second. So, okay. So, that... Best explanation I can give you about the 77s read on it all. That, 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 that's the one I personally am the most. When, when I say it's personal, like I'm telling you, you get to have your own interpretation. Doesn't make you wrong. Doesn't, like, like that, that's not, I'm just telling you the one that makes the most sense if we're in context historically and prophetically in my book is that fourth one that says, like, hey, uh, this, is, this is literal, but there is a prophetic gap. And, and guys, that means that we're living in the gap. That's where we are right now. Make sense? Clear as mud? All right. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out. Whew. Okay. Brings me to the last point. I think it's kind of like the, the kicker of the whole text. Okay? It's this. Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is our ultimate sacrifice. So 
Again, I want you to listen to what happens according to this. In the end times, a figure will rise up who's hugely popular, very manipulative, right? But he's going to rise up to become a world power, and he's going to reestablish the temple and its sacrifices. Temple, I mean, I mean, this is the interpretation, right? So if you establish, uh, reestablish temple sacrifices, this, that's going to be highly popular amongst some people. Follow me? But then ultimately, he's going to stop those, say, hey, it's my throne, I'm God, you worship me. And here's what I'm going to say to you. This is why you shouldn't be excited about the temple reopening or sacrifices being made again, is because the word of God declares that Jesus is the final once for all sacrifice for our sins. And nothing else is needed. Now, I know you guys are saying, yeah, we're Christians, we know that. Yeah, but do we live like that? Do, we, do you live like Jesus or not, is enough? Or, or do you need Jesus and a little cleaning up? Do you need Jesus and to watch your mouth? Jesus and, 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 and hear me, I'm, I'm all about watching your mouth. I, th- I think the Bible calls us to live righteous because he's righteous. He says, be holy as I'm holy. But I'm just saying, we, we have this tendency, I need Jesus and another worship experience. I need Jesus and, you know, this and that. And, and it just gets us into this place. We, we get to a point, we kind of almost start thinking Jesus is enough. And what's going to happen is a great deceiver is going to rise up and say, no, Jesus was great. But man, these temple sacrifices, man, this is, this is back that Abraham covenant. You got to do this stuff. No, man, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that stuff. That's why the veil was torn in two, bro. That's it. So when somebody rehangs a veil, you run. You run. When somebody reestablishes distance between you and God, you run, right? Here's, here's, here's what the Bible says about Jesus being our ultimate sacrifice. I'm in the book of Hebrews, if you want to turn with me. Um, Hebrews chapter 10. I don't have it marked, but I just want to, want to go to it real quick. And uh, new Bible, I'm still not used to you. I'm still not used to you. Everything sticks together. You know what I'm saying? Like it all sticks together. Okay, there we go. Hebrews, right in front of James, chapter 10. Um, And I think I'm going to read 1 through, I don't know, maybe like 14, maybe 18. This is what it says, and we'll close with this. It says, since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come, and it's not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. You guys following me? Somebody reestablishes that business. That's not good business. There's no need for that business. That business never worked in the first place. Christian, you got, you nail this down. Because somebody is going to tell your children or your grandchildren or their grandchildren that when the temple is built, you need to go there and you need to make an offering for your sin. And they better be trained up by you that your sin has already been atoned for in Christ. You follow me? Because, man, there's going to be some people deceived. And so I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, listen, that, that's done. Verse 2, otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Like, if it worked, it would have been done. Since the, worship, uh, since the worshipers purified once and for all would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. 
After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time which can never take away the sins of mankind. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made a footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord said, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And we say, praise be to God for his son Jesus Christ. So what do we do with Daniel chapter 9 and 77s and future scariness? And what, what do we do with that? I, I think there's some things that we can draw from it that we can do today. And, and the first one, guys, is, is this. And I'm going to use the letter P throughout this. The first one is this, is we need to pray. Guys, we need to be people of prayer. Amen? God answers prayer. And I, I challenge you, man. How cool would it be to have a Daniel moment where you start praying your long paragraph and God shows up after your first incident. Like, angel Lord just shows up and be like, well, I, I, came, I came as soon as you started. God already had the answer. We need some more of those moments. Not going to get those moments if you don't pray. And so the Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. Says that God's our father. He's not going to give us a, a snake when we ask for bread, Right? So we need to ask. We need to approach God. We need to pray. Like Daniel, we need to pray. Two, um, we need to know that we're prone. We need to know that we are prone to misunderstanding. How many times in the sermon, can you go back and recap, have I told you this is my understanding at this point, and that all goes under the umbrella that we are prone to misunderstand the plans of God. You guys following where that's coming from? Like, I, I... this is the, the smartest dudes that study the Bible. This, these are some of their best guesses about what the 77s are. That doesn't mean that we've got it nailed down. And, and you shouldn't act, oh, well, that's, that's everything I need to know. Uh, like, it's just, like we, we don't know the day or the hour. We just, we just have these glimpses, these images of what is to come, of someone who's going to rise up of great popularity, that's going to grab the world's attention, that's going to try to reestablish a sacrificial system. Like These are just the, 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 the gleanings that we, we can grasp, and we just kind of have to go with that and go, okay, okay Lord, that's, that's, that's a little scary, right? But we need to know in all that we're prone to misunderstand. And so um, I've got some friends, and I, I love them to death. They look at every world event, and, and they're, they're putting this text on that. Yep, that's going on. That's the guy. That's the guy. In all that, I, I pray that you would be somebody that acts in humility with this truth under your life. Like, like That may be the guy. I'm prone to misunderstand. I'm not going to say that's the guy. I'm not going to say this is the end. I'm not going to, because I, I, I don't know the way God thinks. Right? I have his word, I know his character, but his thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are his ways my ways. I never would have seen Jesus coming. I never would have seen that's how God was going to save the world, by becoming a sin offering once and for all. Like God works in ways that I wouldn't normally think about. Therefore, I have to always say, that, well, maybe, 
This is how God's going to go about this, okay? Last thing, guys, is I would just say this. Um, we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? Author and perfecter of this thing called faith, he is the ultimate sacrifice. Why is it so important we fix our eyes on Jesus? Now, some of you are like, every sermon lately, Pastor, you just tell us to look to Jesus. That's kind of every week, okay? Welcome to church. If, if, I mean, like if you're going somewhere else and that's not the heart of the message, we've, they've, they've missed it that day, right? I mean, hey, hey, I'm glad you're here. Feel better about yourself. God bless you, right? If that's the message, like they missed it that every week, yeah, look to Jesus. And why is it so important that we look to Jesus, the author, perfecter of our faith, the one that has accomplished it, the one that has paid once and for all for our sins, so that we don't mistakenly, when somebody that's a deceiver rises up, or our kids mistakenly look to somebody else, as a sacrifice when Jesus is the ultimate one. So we gotta fix our eyes on Jesus. And friends, I love you. Man, life is crazy, amen? Million things flying at you from a million different directions and it is easy in the busyness of this life to not fix your eyes on Christ. To look at politics, to look at your finances, to look, I mean, you name it. You say, man, I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this. We need to be so focused on Jesus Christ that even the best deceiver there is couldn't make our faith waver because we know that he's our once and for all sacrifice. And then we're willing to go before somebody like that and say, kill me if you need to, man. I'm done. I was done a long time ago. I was done a long time ago. Friends, that's what it's going to take one day. I'm, just try- I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to prepare you. We don't know when it's coming, but we do know how it ends. And it ends in victory. And it ends with us reigning with Christ, all that remain faithful. Be faithful. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for teaching us, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence with us. We pray that we would be these kind of faithful people that um, live for your kingdom, for your glory, that are focused on you. Father, we love you. Um, We pray that as we head into kind of a time of tithes and offerings, Lord, that you would help us bring you glory in all that we do, think, and say. In Jesus' name, amen.